really proud of the staff of the 408. These are juniors and seniors who work very hard every month to put together these episodes. And they don't get much time in class to work on these, so they have to figure out how to work with their groups outside of class to get these episodes finished and polished. This is no easy task, and, and they never fail to amaze me. For the final episode of this season of the 408, I disbanded the groups and required each of my students to create their own individual segment for this episode. The goal was to have them practice the skills they've learned within their groups and produce a segment about themselves. I asked them to look at their life and to pick a segment of it to share with the world. The following are only 10 of those stories. You can find the rest at the408.org. We're about to hear some, some very powerful stories. So be ready to feel anger, to feel sorrow, to feel joy, ready to be made to reflect on what it means to be human and what it means to live the chunks of life these amazing young people will share with you. From the halls of the Los Angeles High School of the Arts, this is the 408. Stay tuned. Frankie and his father have, to put it mildly, a troublesome relationship, one full of resentment and anger. In this segment, Frankie confronts his father and explores the reason for the chasm that has grown between them. Hello, my name is Juan Francisco Morales Jr. And here is a poem that I wrote not so long ago, explaining how I feel. Left at three, the root of a family tree is gone. Where's daddy when I'm alone? This game of hide and seek has been played too long But it's typical where I'm from Fathers leave offspring in the spring And they leave in the fall I'ma leave when I fall The pain's novocaine and now I can't feel nothing at all Now I'm 17 and don't want you and wondering why I'm not answering your calls You said you never leave but you did. Now tell me why I was eating burgers by myself while you were in and out and your kids. Don't kid. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Juan Francisco Morales Jr. And the father in that poem is the one and only Juan Francisco Morales. My father. Now, let me paint a picture for you. There is a young boy, a boy who is ignorant to the world, waiting to explore with his father. A boy who believes his father is a superhero, thinking his father is fighting crime, saving lives, waiting patiently for his father to arrive. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. According to fatherhood.org, 33% of children in America are waiting. They live in biological father absent homes. I am a part of that 33%. At the age of three, my father left my house. He hasn't returned since. And up until the age of seven, I saw my dad every other weekend. After that, every other year. And because of that, he has missed important milestones in my life from my 5th grade graduation to my 17th birthday. And how does that make me feel? It makes me feel alone. It makes me feel confused. 
How can a father leave a child and still say you love them? And still say you care for them? I ask these questions to my father. But let me provide to you some context. This phone call is the first time I talked to him on the phone for about two months. I didn't feel the need to talk to him. I didn't even wish him a happy birthday. But this conversation is long overdue. Emotions that have been piled up over the years and anger that needs to be released. I needed to talk to my father. It wasn't just to release my emotions, but for him to realize what type of father he is and hopes for him to change. So I start off by asking him about my grandfather. ¿Y cómo te trató mi abuelo? Mi papá siempre me quiso mucho. Y yo lo quise mucho. ¿Y cómo te sentiste cuando murió? Muy triste, me sentí muy triste. Me sentí como que ya me había quedado huérfano. De hecho, yo dije a mi mamá eso. Cuando ya sabía que mi papá no estaba, que ya no le iba a dar. Eso me generó un problema grande, triste, que yo no sé si eso me quitó todavía. Después de que hace mucho se murió, porque él me, me compraba zapatos y pantalones y llegaba con comida a la casa y, y él era el responsable de que en la casa no faltara comida, ni ropa a todos mis hermanos, ni a mí, ni a nada, a nadie. ¿Cuántos años um, teniste cuando se murió mi abuelo? Oh, yo tenía... Como te da eso, como un año más, 17, 18 años, cuando, cuando mi papá murió. Me dice que por ahí, como se quita de te da eso. Pero yo me quedé jo, joven también sin papá. ¿Y cómo, cómo te sentiste a los 18? Así me siento ahorita. Y esto. Hijo, pero hay una ventaja, hay una, espérame, papá, hay una ventaja y una diferencia. Yo todavía tengo vida, no sé cuántos días más me dio me veces, pero esos días y nos vamos a pasar juntos y digo. Pero hay que aprovecharlo, papá. Tú siempre solo dices eso y pues, siempre dices eso. Ya voy, ya voy, vamos a tener un año sin vernos. Vamos, vamos a tener un año casi. Ok, papá, está bueno. Y no te sientes mal. Sí. Sin ver tu hijo. No, pues por eso te digo que, 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 que más que me incomode lo que me dices, me pone en mi lugar de decir, bueno, ¿qué pasa? Pues por un reclamo honesto, unas palabras honestas, pero sí, bueno, ¿qué vamos a hacer? Vamos, ¿estás dispuesto a hacer esto? Sí, lo otro también. Ok, pues vamos a hacer eso, hijo. Ahí me pone contento, hijo, esto. No me pone triste, me pone contento, me pone como en celebration time, porque. Si yo hubiera podido tener la oportunidad de, de, de decirle a mi papá, así como estoy a mí, lo necesito mucho, no se vaya, ándese conmigo, a donde sea. Si yo en la cantina ahí lo espero, que ponga un borracho, ya le vamos a la casa, ya le llevo yo. Si hace fuera, lo que sea, que yo no tuve la oportunidad de eso. Tú si la tienes y yo mismo, andarme juntos. Yo creo que lo que me queda a mí, porque yo soy más mayor que tú, de vida. So, cuando yo te dejé este clave con el piano y la guitarra y el micrófono y todo eso, era para que tuvieras de alguna forma 
sintieras mi huella en, en ti, en tus manos, en tu corazón, pero no es suficiente, tengo que estar yo, y más por arriba de, de todo eso, es mejor la persona, hijo. Está bien. ¿Y cómo crees que me siento cuando tú no estás aquí conmigo? Es que yo estando ahí no tengo ni a dónde vivir, entiéndeme, yo aquí tengo una casa donde meterme. Si tú estuvieras aquí, aquí a ver cómo le haríamos, porque tengo casa donde decirte a dónde pudieras estar. Allá no tengo ni a dónde vivir algo. ¿Did you hear that? I had asked my father to put himself in my shoes, to think about the way I feel when he leaves me. What does he do? He brings the situation back to him, talking about how he is comfortable in Mexico because he has a stable house to live in, and that if I were in Mexico, things would be different. But I'm not in Mexico. My father is selfish. He does everything in order to accommodate to his needs. It is as if he forgets his child comes first. Why is that? Why is it difficult for him to understand that he has to be in his son's life? Why can't he see that? Is it because his father died while he was growing up? Or is it something else? I'm never going to know. But it's not my job to figure it out. Pero te, te quiero agradecer porque tú me enseñaste algo muy importante. Sí. Que yo, cuando yo tengo hijos, que yo siempre tengo que estar ahí por ellos, porque ellos siempre me van a necesitar. Y no me voy a alejar de ellos porque yo, las, yo los quiero mucho. Y tú me enseñaste cómo no ser papá. Tú me quebraste el corazón y yo nunca te he dicho eso, pero sí me quebraste el corazón, papá. Yo siempre te voy a amar porque eres mi papá, pero no has estado aquí. Y yo cuando voy a tener hijos, yo no voy a ser como usted. Yo voy a ser mejor que usted. Now let me paint a picture for you. There is a young boy, a boy who is ignorant to the world waiting to explore with his father. A boy who believes his father is a superhero, thinking his father is fighting crime, saving lives, waiting patiently for his father to arrive. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. I am no longer waiting. I tie my shoes and I put on my cape. I'm going to learn how to fly by myself. I am now 17, and I've grown to realize that I can't change my father. I can only change myself. I no longer need him. And as I embark onto new chapters in my life, his chapter has closed. I am always going to love my father, but I don't expect anything from him. And that's okay. I'm just going to have to move on. In 2012, Breck made his journey from the Philippines to the United States. This is the story of that journey and of that difficult transition. I'm Breck from 408 Team Ponsake. 
And this is my story about transitioning to a new life in America. A long time ago, in a land far, well, not so far compared to other countries, called the Philippines, I used to live there. The year 2012. The year before it happened. Before the end of the world, I mean, before I moved to Los Angeles, before I realized that I wouldn't stay in the same place with the same group of people forever. By then, I have lived and gone to school in the Philippines for about six years from third to eighth grade. West Hill International School was a private school, so I was stuck with pretty much the same 15 classmates for those six years compared to the four times number of classmates now at Lhasa. And in those six years, I've developed very close, crazy friendships with those few classmates. So imagine if one day, your mom came up to you, saying that you're going to move to America soon, away from your friends, an ocean away even. Many thousands of kids and teenagers move each year, whether it's interstate, from country to country, or continent to continent. Those people have their own feelings about moving. Scared, excited, angry, sad, and much more. Personally, I felt scared and stressed and found myself constantly trying to persuade my mom to have a stay in the Philippines. You were surprised and hesitant, you know. I was already ahead working in the US and your grandma was still back home. And you messaged me all the time trying to convince me to just stay here. And you would rather live alone with your cousin than in the United States with me. Because you really didn't want to leave West Hill. But even if you stayed, you probably couldn't have stayed at West Hill until graduation because we just couldn't afford it. That's my mom. By the way, grade level system in the Philippines was different back when I still lived there. Middle school wasn't a thing so high school was from 7th grade to 10th grade. <laughs> I could have graduated a year ago and gone to college before my 17th birthday. That's crazy. This was also one of the big reasons why I didn't want to go to the US because I would have had to take two extra years of high school. But now, thinking about the idea of being in college by the age of 16 or 17, it's so weird. This wasn't even the first time I moved from country to country. After I was born, conveniently in the US, automatically making me a US citizen. My mom's employers at the Philippine Embassy assigned her to work in Spain. And that's where I lived until second grade before moving to the Philippines. Before moving to the Philippines, my family and I actually stopped by and visited my cousin in Los Angeles. And I thought the place was really cool, so... But the fact that five years later this was where we were moving to made me feel a bit better. We left for the US two days after my 14th birthday where I got to bid farewell to my friends 
and now former classmates were already starting their third year of high school. Initially, the transition wasn't easy. It took me a while to get used to my own new neighborhood, memorizing places and streets and whatnot, where the nearest McDonald's was, but I eventually got the hang of it. Funny thing is, in the Philippines, I was surrounded by Koreans, and now in Los Angeles, I live in an area literally called Koreatown. <laughs> when I first entered my new high school, Lhasa, I thought I wouldn't fit in, that my shyness would overcome me, especially since with the new environment and whatnot, and that I wasn't very fond of acting back then because, you know, awkwardness and I didn't think I was talented in the arts designing, painting and all that stuff however, I made a couple of friends almost right away and I eventually overcame my awkwardness and became more active both in class and other school activities I used to cringe at the thought of having to take two extra years of high school compared to if I stayed in the Philippines. Soon, I just accepted it, and it didn't bother me anymore. The thing is, I'm not the only one who experienced moving, and had a similar struggle of not knowing if they're gonna survive this place. Like my good friend, Whitney Gonzalez. I came from Guatemala when I was six years old. I was very confused. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, oh, can I take my doll? And my mom was like, pick one. You can't take all of them. So I picked my favorite and I brought it. But I really, until like, until I was older, I didn't realize what was happening. I didn't really know what struggling was until I got here. Because, you know, when you're in, when you're in like a poor country, you don't really know what struggle is because you, you've been doing it your whole life. Mm -hmm. So when I came here, I was just like, What's, what's happening and then I, I didn't speak any English so everyone was talking to me in English and I was like what okay and I was talking in Spanish and then I, I just I didn't know so I was very confused when I got here and um, I did struggle to make friends for the first year but then you know it's Los Angeles so everyone here is almost bilingual so then they started translating English for me and I, I started to understand it my parents, they sacrificed a lot for me to be here with a better education. And me thinking uh, of what it was like in Guatemala, you know, some nights we, we ate like tortillas with salt and that was our dinner. So I don't, I don't think anyone that's been here would say they'd want to go back, unless it's for like family or something, but here you, you can have a better future. And I wouldn't give that up. Looking back at my initial reaction and fears about moving to a new home, I now realize that it wasn't as bad as I thought. Through making new friends and just being caught up in the moment and living in the present, I was able to live in my new home without holding on too much to my previous life. If I had a choice back then to stay in the Philippines, to continue to live my life as it was four years ago, what I have? I'll say this. If I chose to stay there, chances are I wouldn't have as many luxuries and experiences and great opportunities as I have here. And 
I also wouldn't have met the people I considered now my good friends, which I honestly can't imagine. This has been Breck from Team Mosaic. Thank you and have a nice day. Special thanks to bensounds.com for the music. And shout out to Lin Manuel Miranda for blessing us with his musical, Hamilton. Elizabeth's mother had to make a choice. The decision would cause waves throughout Elizabeth's family. This is the story of the consequences of that choice and how it impacted and continues to impact Elizabeth's life. When I was in elementary school, I would only see my mom around three times a day, when she drove me to school, when she picked me up, and when she came home at night. My mom worked two jobs. She was a delivery driver for two different restaurants, so she was always busy. The only way that she would be able to pick me up from school was in the middle of a delivery. My mom is a single mother. She and my dad separated when I was three years old, but my dad would still visit us every week. My mom worked two minimum wage jobs because she had to support three kids. We lived in a very small apartment that didn't have any rooms, which meant that there wasn't much privacy. So the image of my mom being stressed out was very noticeable. In sixth grade, we moved to a new apartment. It was much nicer and it had three rooms, but the only reason that we were able to move was because my cousins started living with us, so their dad would help my mom with the rent. At the time, my aunt was living in Honduras, so my cousins lived with us until she came back to Los Angeles. Eventually, things weren't working out for my mom as she planned, so her stress continued to grow. She started getting angrier and I hated her every time she did. Then one day, my mom decided that she would move to Louisiana because my uncle told her that there were a lot of well-paying jobs there. My uncle actually lives there, so she decided that she would live with him until she found a stable job. My aunt had just returned from Honduras, so my cousins and my stepbrother were going to live with her. My brother Jesse and I would move in with my dad. My dad came into the apartment to help move our things into his place. My mom and I had been arguing about something that I can't even remember. My dad tried to calm my mom down, but eventually she just said, You know what? I'm glad I'm leaving. That way I don't have to deal with these kids anymore. At the time, this was just another reason for me to hate her. But now I know that she was just angry, so she said things that she didn't mean. The idea of my mother leaving scared me. Even though I would constantly get angry with her, I still love her, so having her move would make me really sad. On the day that my mom left, she told me that she was going to come back to see me, that everything would be alright, so I shouldn't cry. She told me that she was doing this for us because she wanted us to have a better life than we did when we lived in that tiny apartment. It was nighttime when she left. She kissed me goodnight and I fell asleep. When I woke up, she was gone. My dad took my brother and I to eat in the morning. I felt kind of weird. I felt empty. My dad knew that my mom leaving would affect me more than my brother, so he started telling us that she would come back and that we would see her really soon. She wasn't really gone. From that day on, I started getting used to living with my dad. I had to start learning how to do things by myself. I had to learn how to do my own laundry, how to cook, clean, and I had to start buying my own things. By this time, my mom had already found a well-paying job. She works in a refinery, which can be very dangerous, but she had to make that sacrifice in order to be financially stable. This job allows her to send money to us and to do other things like finally owning that apartment that she lives in. This decision of hers was very important because even though we may not like this fact, money makes a huge difference in our lives. It kind of sucks whenever the school tells me to bring my mom to school events or when another person talks about the funny thing that their mom said last night. I don't get to have these experiences with my own mother. I don't get to come home to my mom every day and have conversations with her. My dad tries his best to help me in any way he can, 
He really does, but I'm at the age where I need my mother the most, and yet I don't have her near me. Compared to the problems that my mom would have when she lived in LA, my problems don't seem like a big deal. So I try to just continue with my life. If my mom was able to make changes for herself, then why can't I? Every time I talk with my mom over the phone, she reminds me why she left. She reminds me about how much fun we have when we visit each other. And she tells me that if she still lived here, we wouldn't be able to do all of these things. She tells me how I finally got that laptop that I needed, how she doesn't have to worry about the rent like my dad does, and it's all because of her decision to move to another state. But it's not like she's completely happy in Louisiana. She constantly tells me about how much she misses all of us. She may live in a really nice apartment, but she's all by herself. She doesn't have anyone to share it with. My cousin has a similar situation. Earlier, I mentioned how my cousins were living with us when my aunt was in Honduras. Well, she was one of those cousins. After my aunt came back, there was a family emergency that led her to go back to Honduras. She's been there ever since. When I was 11, my grandma was dying of cancer. So therefore, my mom left to Honduras to take care of her. And although my grandma already passed away, she, as in my mom, had to continue staying there to take care of all the things that my grandma left behind. And now I'm living with my aunt. How different is it living with my aunt than with your mom? My freedom is more limited. I have to follow a lot of new rules. Back then with my mom, I could just tell her. And then I just have to ask her and she'd be okay with it. But now I have to name who I'm going with. Where is it going to be? Who's taking me? Who's bringing me back? It's just things like that. I can tell that the trust that I used to have with mom, that she used to put in me, isn't there anymore with my aunt. Can you tell me what you miss the most about her? This is hard. (laughs) Because, I mean, I miss her, obviously, because she's my mom and everything. But to be very honest, before she left over there, I had a very weird relationship with her as in we didn't get along as much. There was no trust between us two and we used to fight a lot. At some point, I realized that now that she's over there and I'm over here, I have to trust her more and make her trust me so that she knows that I'm good while she's over there so she can worry less. Some of the things that I can say that I like to meet from this new person that she is now, things like her support, you know, her just being there and telling me that everything's going to be okay and that she believes in me. Her moving over there definitely helped our relationship a whole lot more. Even though she used to give me freedom when she was here, even if I didn't do anything bad, I'd always be afraid that she'd, you know, maybe get angry at me. I focus mostly on myself and trying to make myself feel better since she didn't help with that. My aunts do love me, I know that, and they do support me and they're they're wonderful. But there's sometimes when I feel alone. So I go to her, I go to my mom and I tell her, you know, all these things that are going on. Remember when we all lived in that in that like apartment that had three rooms and it was like all pretty? Yeah. Um, okay, so you live with my mom and like the rest of us. How did it feel to to see that I had my mom but yours was away in a different place? I was definitely more depressed. Back then I was younger and I was more sensitive. Just seeing how you could go into my aunt's room and just fall asleep in her arms and I couldn't do that. Going to school and something good happening over there, like me getting a certificate or having a good grade or anything like that. When I get home, I couldn't tell my mom to be happy or proud of me because she wasn't there. While you could go to your mom and tell her that and you guys could celebrate, you know, she could take you out to eat, 
be all happy, but I couldn't do that. So I was very jealous of the fact that you had your mom and I didn't. That's true. And thing is, you know, like right after your mom came, my mom left. And yeah. it was like, we switched places. Are you okay with the fact that your mom stayed in Honduras? Emotionally, I want to say no, because I definitely needed her a lot. But putting all my feelings aside, I'm okay with it. You know, because I know that we would send a lot of money to Honduras, which my grandma invested. And there's a lot of houses, apartments, everything that she left behind. We couldn't just, you know, oh, my grandma passed away, my mom come back. We couldn't just leave those over there. I do, you know, recognize that she had to stay over there just because she had to. So in that sense, I'm okay with it. But emotionally, just thinking about myself, no. My grandma, her cancer was detected before I was even born. Instead of using that money to cure herself, she invested that money in making houses and apartments so that her family, us, we were ever to go broke somehow, we'd have a home back over there. In that sense, emotionally, that's very important for us to take care of those things because she left those things behind thinking about her family rather than herself. Do you think that sacrifices are necessary in our lives? If you're going to sacrifice yourself over material things, no. Because all the people around you that care about you, much rather have you than any of the material things that we that you will leave behind but if you're going to sacrifice yourself over someone that you care about or you know a good meaningful reason like saving a whole lot of people then yeah it's it's okay Having my mom and my aunt live far away from us made them appreciate us a lot more. They both had to sacrifice living with their children in order to fulfill their responsibilities, and I think that it was necessary. If my mom never moved, I can't even imagine how much worse things would have been. I would have had her near me, but I wouldn't have the best version of her. And now whenever she visits us, she's always so happy. She was able to eliminate all of the stress that was eating her in the city. I will continue to do things without my mother if it means that she has less things to worry about. It can be hard sometimes, but I know that sacrifices have to be made for the ones that you love, just like my mom, my aunt, and my grandma did. Alex is a talented student and a talented member of the 408, but last year, Alex learned a lesson about teamwork, about stress and cooperation. This is the story of that lesson. Hey everyone, it's Alex Fuentes from Legacy. And friends, this is my last episode in the 408. After this episode airs, I will have left the 408 and I will no longer be heard. So what does this change mean for all of you? Well, for all the viewers, nothing new will come from me leaving the 408 podcast. New podcasts will still be made, and since many of the people from previous podcast episodes still aren't leaving high school, you'll still hear many familiar voices. Come to think of it, this is actually the second time that you'll hear my voice in a podcast. I mean, I was the editor of Legacy, so I was always in the back editing and working with my team members. But that was all backstage, so you never really got to know me. In fact, the only times that you would have heard my voice was in the Valentine's Day episode and this one. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a story, my story, about working for the 408. This is one of those backstage stories that no one really knows about, but I'm going to tell it to you now. And hopefully after hearing the story, you'll be able to learn a lesson about learning from previous mistakes 
and you'll be able to see that many mistakes can be fixed. But you also have to be brave and willing to grow and accept your weaknesses. The story that I mainly want to focus on from this year of working for the 408 is a story that has to do with the reason why I have been in two groups. So originally, I was meant to work with a permanent team throughout the year. In the beginning of the year, I didn't see myself leaving the first group I was in since I was getting along with some of my team members. When we worked on our first story for the very first episode of the 408, we were all working together. We were coming up with ideas and there were some disagreements about story directions somewhere in the beginning, but it wasn't anything to really drive a team to become dysfunctional. In the beginning, I would say really the biggest problem we had was managing our time better. And for the first episode, we really felt the effects of doing work near the end. Well, mostly the editor felt the pain of doing last minute work. Our team's editor was new to the class, so she was just learning how to edit. But for the most part, our editor did well with choosing the right dialogue for the story. After gaining experience with the first episode, we were able to reflect on some of our weaknesses and we realized that in order to be successful with future podcasts, we really needed to manage our month for creating a story more efficiently. However, for the next podcast, we were still struggling with managing our time. I believe that one of the factors that contributed to the poor time management issue was due to the fact that we were all seniors and we were really busy with college applications. So the pressure of college and the extra work from other classes was just really difficult for everyone in my group to handle. Our class made three podcasts during the first semester. The last podcast in the semester was on the topic of loss, which the episode was also titled Loss. Coincidentally, Lost was also the last podcast that I worked on with my old team. And then the day after turning in our work, that was the same day I left my previous group. The reason I wasn't the reason I left wasn't necessarily due to my team, although in the beginning I did blame my old teammates for not respecting me and ultimately making me leave. But after reflecting on what I did that night, the night of the conflict, and the night that the whole blowout with myself and the producer happened, I realized that I had a part in the blowout as well. I realized that I had made a mistake. And because of that mistake, I created a separation between myself and my old team for a while. Now, I could tell you what it was that I did that night of the blowout that caused me to upset my team members, but I feel as though it would be better to have my old team members that to have my old team's producer tell that part of the story. Not only to keep the story from seeming biased from my part, but also to show that I did grow from that experience and that I did own up to my mistake and I cleared the separation between myself and the people who I upset that night. Anyways, here's Consuelo to tell the story. Since I was producer, I was checking up on Jenny since the draft was due the day before. Okay, so to give a little bit of background of the story, earlier that day, the editor had told me that she had a lot of work and so she asked me to help her edit the podcast so I was a little hesitant at first I didn't really want to do it because I wasn't I didn't have a lot of knowledge on editing but I did it anyways so I thought it would be a good way of learning how to edit in case for future situations so I decided to help her edit the podcast well I actually took the file and I decided to edit it and I mean, the day, yeah, the day after I was checking up on Jenny on how she was doing with the edits 
And then she had told me that you were taking charge of the edits. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I'll just pass me his, like, number, however it is that he communicates with you so I can ask him. I can check up on him. I check up on you, and it turns out that you tell me that you, like, changed the entire introduction and, like, the edits, like, the music. I don't even know what else Jenny had told me that night. I didn't... And the thing was that I know I kind of... I also seem like a bad person and, like, a selfish person and wanting to take, like, the... Like, all of the like work basically but it was just that it was it was the night before that the draft was due that what was really that made me just lose it what made me upset about it was that okay after you told me that you had changed some parts and that you were working on it all I said was hey okay let's send this like a draft so I could see how how it's going so far and like you would just say oh just wait till tomorrow you'll see you'll see and like that's what like made me panic because I was just like like I don't know how things are going you know I guess you could say it was like my ego that just kind of got the best of me and I thought that like I can produce what you guys made or even better yeah <laughs> yeah I know trust me like I said I know and, that feeling yeah and that's kind of how I felt and so that's why when we had that conflict I the net the night I was reflecting wow they don't respect me like they just showed it right now but then the next day I don't know if you realized but I was really quiet that day like mm-hmm. with you guys and that's because at that point I realized what if I did make the mistake? Why didn't I just, like, include them more? Why couldn't I just have her send me her narration part? I mean, I was going to narrate the same thing you already were narrating. Mm-hmm. So why couldn't I just have her send it? It would have completely, like, avoided that whole issue. Really, that the whole situation was just immature, that we could have handled it a completely different way. I mean, the fight was all over a phone call. It was, like, a three-way call amongst, what, me, you, and Jenny, which was, at the time, the the creative director for it and like i just really thought that things could have just been taken like differently like i could have just asked you to show me a file of what you were working on and if we heard it and we like thought it was somewhat to what we wanted or somewhat to what we thought was best for the for the actual interview we i would have completely left it like i had no problem not being the one in the interview like in the in the intro it was just that you just didn't want to have you just didn't want to send it to us you didn't want you wanted surprises with that and like it was just so last minute that we just didn't have time for any surprises and like i said previously like especially if it was if it was going to resemble our our grade as a group and our and my ability to manage like my group members but again i guess it was just it just had to do with my ego and wanting to do everything myself wanting the starlight on me and when i went to the other group I left to the other group mainly not because I felt like I couldn't stay in your group, but because I knew that I had messed up. It's it it is work, you know. It's not it's not something that you take personal. It's work, and sometimes people aren't gonna work the way you want to, and you should be fine with that. And that's also what I learned, you know. And I think that just like you said earlier, that you that you've learned like what problems you have. Mm-hmm. I have done the same because, as I said, I used to dele- I used to not be able to delegate. After the interview, I felt good about what I heard. For a while, I had reflected on that night, and for a while I began to feel bad for what I had put the producer and the editor through that. Instead of helping Consuelo and Jenny, I made things worse by arguing with them. And as a result, I separated myself from them so that I wouldn't have to apologize for my actions. But later on, I came to the realization that in order to truly get closure for what I did, I needed to face the truth. I messed up. So after a couple of weeks, I began to let go of my anger towards my old group. 
For a while, I blamed them for my leave. But only recently did I realize that I left the group not because they told me to leave, but because I wanted to make a statement that I will not be in a group that does not want me. However, that statement was so false. And only after realizing that I had, I may have overreacted, I felt as though the only right thing to do would be to show them that I accept the fact that I was wrong that night. And so I did. And after doing so, I learned that I wasn't the only person who learned to see their weaknesses and discuss it. Consuelo told me her weaknesses with delegating. It really made me see that we all grew from that night. We are still growing and most likely we're going to make other mistakes. But at least now I know that it is better to accept my mistakes. Not only does it allow me to move on, but it helps me grow into a better person. Jenny has always had questions about why she and her brother weren't close when they were growing up. In this segment, Jenny talks with her brother, and they try to unearth the reasons for their apparent disconnect. Sibling rivalry is very common. As a kid, I've always thought my brother hated me, but with good reason. You see, I'm the youngest, and I took most of the attention away. I thought that older brothers hating you, not wanting to spend time with you, was normal, and that it was just a phase. I especially remember a time when my brother and I had a huge fight, and both of us were so mad that we actually pulled a knife on each other. We wanted to kill each other and hurt each other, and yet I can't even remember what we fought over. Or a time where I was just a toddler, drinking out of my bottle, when suddenly my brother took the bottle and punched me. Obviously, I don't remember this, but it's a story my mother always told us. Recently, I have been really close with my brother. We tell each other everything, and now we can say I love you, and actually mean it. I was curious on why it took so long to become friends, and why as kids we were enemies. So I decided to interview him and ask him about it. Thanks for coming for my interview. Yep. Okay, so you know how as kids we like fought and like basically hated each other? And it wasn't until like recently we actually became friends. So I want to like talk to you about that and like figure out why it took so long. Sure. What are your thoughts on our relationship right now? It's okay. I'm busy all the time. So I can't, I can't really like deepen a bond that much because I'm so far away. Do you think that like our relationship has grown and like strengthened i mean i think it's always grown just not in a good way <laughs> what do you mean by that like every day it would be like damn i have to deal with her for another day wow <laughs> <laughs> okay so like how do you feel that like now looking at it like looking at it now we're like friends but when like we were kids we were pretty much really like enemies <laughs> so like how do you feel about that like Knowing that we're like friends now. I mean, I don't think we're friends right now. Well, then what do you consider our relationship? Brother and sister. I mean, we were nicer to each other now, very recently, but... So you don't feel that we're actually friends? No. Oh, that's so strange. Why are we friends? We're brother and sister. Well, yeah, but brothers and sisters could be friends. Nah. Ours, is, ours, is, ours isn't that weak. Ours is more strong. Well, what do you mean by that? So, like, friends are more like people who you see and you're happy to see mm -hmm. per day. And for each day. Friends are those who you share secrets with, mm -hmm. but not that much. 
-hmm. For a brother and sister, I'm happy to see you for the rest of my life. So friends, you're happy to see in the present, not in the future. Okay, so you think that our relationship is more than friends? Yep. Would you say that it would be kind of like best friends then? Like in comparison? Yep. Oh, okay. At this point of the interview, I was shocked to hear that my brother didn't really think of us as friends. I thought to myself that maybe I was the only one to feel that we were friends and how close we were, and that Kevin had a different interpretation of our relationship. So as he continued, I was surprised to hear the total opposite of what I thought. It was a nice surprise to hear that Kevin thought of our relationship as more than just a friendship, more like a brotherly and sisterly bond that can't be broken. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel indifferent. I think it's because like as time grew, I became more mature. So I think that because we just kept getting older, we started to see our point of views. But for me, I remember like every time I tried to hang out with you, you like refused. Like we were both kids and like, yeah, we both had immature minds. But if I wanted to hang out with you, you wouldn't want to. So why? Mostly because I was jealous. Jealous of what? You'd probably outshine me in whatever I did. What do you mean? So like, for example, if I think that you're too close to me, meaning it's not just not like physically, but in abilities or intelligence, I feel like I need to get further ahead. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel like an older brother. You felt like you had like... Like something to prove, yeah. Like, why do you think that though? Because like, you're just a fast learner. So whatever, I was basically trying to be someone else that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't focusing on my own strengths. I was focusing on yours. And I was in tr- trying to improve the same skills you had, mm-hmm. which yours is far superior to mine. But like, I don't remember that way. I remember like, like you would always beat me in everything. And like, I would always look up to you and like being the best. Oh, no. No, that's the opposite. But why do you think that like, we both had points of view where like, we both wanted to, you know, be at the same level of each other? Maybe it's because our family situation too. Because of like, how our parents taught us, you have to be the best. You know right. how they compared us and yeah. everything? It's like, oh, I can't be better than so-and-so if I'm not better than Jenny. Or I can't be better than so-and-so if I can't be Kevin. It's like that. Why do you think that like, you always had to beat me and be like the older brother? Why didn't you think that maybe we could improve our skills together? Most likely because I don't like cooperation that much. Obviously, it took over 14 years to finally become friends. Mm -hmm. So why do you think it took that long? Why do you think that even when we were older, like maybe 16, 17 years old, why do you think that at that age we still weren't friends? Like we still wouldn't hang out with each other? Probably because we had our own thing, meaning we had our own friends to deal with, our own social lives. Academic-wise, we both had to do a lot of schoolwork. Thank you, Lhasa. Um, (laughs) I mean, I had, at the time, I was still doing judo, and so I was training to go to the Olympics, but I can't. But anyways, um, I was working out, came home late. I mean, we just didn't have time, I guess. You think that time? We didn't have, like, that much in common either. I mean, you were into the whole tree-hugging hippie life, and I was into that pumping some iron type of thing, so... I'm not a hippie. You're a vegan. <laughs> Do you think that um, that maybe if we spend spent a little time together, we could have been closer? No, I think we, it would have made it worse. Because these things like this take time. And so we weren't really ready. Ready for it? So when did our, you... We were too immature, honestly. When did you think... What, okay, when was the time where you felt like, oh, like, Jenny's, like, my best friend? When I fought with dad. Do you think that my relationship with dad could have affected our relationship? 
No. Why not? Because I knew you'd probably side with me. Well, how do you know that? I just had a gut feeling. You could call it sibling senses. I don't know. How do you see our relationship going? From here? Yeah. I mean, we have our moments when we, like, argue. Yeah. When we low-key, lightweight buttheads. Yeah. But, I mean, later on, I mean, siblings do that. So, it'll progress in a better way. I can't say in which direction, but... Do you think that maybe one day we will like butt heads so much that we would just not become best friends anymore yeah it could happen depending on the situation but we just have to not let that happen oh okay well thank you for letting me interview you mm-hmm. is there anything else you would like to say to who you or just about this interview about our relationship oh, oh so people are gonna hear this right yeah. I'm hey, hey, follow me on the gram. I got you. What? <laughs> hey, my clothing brand's gonna come out pretty soon. Um, I'm That's becoming not a be in the music interview. producer. No, I'm saying. All right. <laughs> uh, 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 I love you. You love me? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I love you too. Okay. Okay. Thank turn you. Turn off the interview. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. All right. Now, with everything that we have talked about, I feel that our relationship has grown and will continue to grow. I love my brother, and I know he loves me. Together, our bond is strong, and even though we don't know what the future holds, I feel that no matter what we go through or what we put each other through, we will always have each other's back, and a relationship would only grow stronger, strengthening itself. I can always count on Kevin to catch me if I fall, and I know I could do the same for him. After all, we are best friends. Chris Castro was a troublemaker when he was in middle school. He never thought his actions would put him in danger of being labeled a criminal. In this segment, Chris and his mother explore the event that pushed Chris away from childishness and into the more serious world of criminal behavior. Um, my name is Christopher Castro and uh, you may remember me as uh, one of our class's former producers for our podcast, The 408. It's a mantle that's uh, kind of been passed down to a more younger generation, if you will. Anyways, I'm here today to talk to you about this personal story from my middle school years. Some may find it a bit disgusting, and in retrospect, it kind of was. Um, before that, let's just sort of establish the kind of person I was back then. You know, I was this lazy, unmotivated kid, and I had this really negative attitude. I would talk back and I would constantly be sent to the dean's office. You know, in short, I was a little punk. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that those traits have been completely eradicated, but you know, they've certainly diminished over time. And these memories have allowed me to see a different me. And these memories, they kind of serve as intertwining passages within me that allow me to connect myself to different versions of me. When Christopher was in middle school, he behaved really bad. I received calls every single day, mostly, and from every teacher, mostly too. And I was working and they was calling me. So I feel really frustrated because I thought I didn't do a good uh, job as a mother because he never listened, he just act like a little boy. 
and it was like really frustrated for me. Uh, during our homeroom period, every Friday, I believe, uh, we would go out and play on the basketball courts. Every now and then, we'd play soccer or something else, but for the most part, it was just basketball. And I was part of the select few that didn't find any interest in playing basketball, and it's kind of due to the fact that, well, I sort of sucked. So myself, along with a couple of friends, would just walk around, just chill, while the more athletic, more competitive kids would ball up against other homerooms. So being the mischievous little punk I was back then, I found a way to pass the time. Look, our basketball courts were all on the second floor, and the numerous courts were surrounded by a fence. So at one side, you could see the center of the school. On the other side, you could see the IHOP across the street, cars, and pedestrians. If you look straight down, you had a clear view on the pedestrian's head. And this is because the fence was sort of at an angle. And right next to the side of the fence that faced outside, there was a water fountain for the students looking to quench their thirst after a long game of basketball, right? No. So we had this idea that, well, we were going to fill our cheeks to the brim with water and we would spit all that water onto unsuspecting people's heads. I distinctly remember our first victim being this lady wearing a pink shirt with some black jeans. I spit so much water onto her and my friends and I, we couldn't contain ourselves. We were breaking down in laughter each time one of us would spit water down. And you know, time passed. People told us some rather explicit things. Some never knew what hit them. And to be honest, we were having the time of our lives. It was, it was fun. And so, there comes this Asian guy. And I remember him being Asian kind of due to his accent. So we get some water in our mouths and we spit it down, right? Nothing new. Just another victim. This guy was different. He started shouting at us, screaming at him, screaming at us with his obviously Asian accent. He started rambling tons of words I'm not allowed to say right now. He threatened to beat us up and asked us what the hell was wrong with us. We were breaking down. We were we were cracking up. We felt powerful, untouchable. We were one story above this guy. What could he possibly do? And so after a while, the man left. So we just kept going at it. Eventually, we took a little break, and from the corner of my eye, I saw our school's police officer. Okay, nothing weird about that. He's just taking a stroll. However, while I turned around, he locked his gaze directly at me. Oh man, no. Did that guy really rat us out? It turns out we angered the man a lot more than we thought. My friends and I ended up in the good old Dean's office. One time I was working and I received a call from, from Christopher's school. I thought, now what, he, now what he did? So I have to go to the school and talk to the teacher. And they explained to me that he was like spitting water from the second floor to the people that was walking on the street. I was like, oh my God, I was like really frustrated that time. And they say that that was like really, really bad, you know, the people that was walking on the, the people that was walking downstairs, they can press charges about him, you know, like I was like really frustrated that day. And, oh my god. We're sitting there, 
and you know my mom was called and we're in some pretty serious trouble and by this point I'm probably one of the most renowned kids uh, for getting sent to the dean's office and due to this incident uh, the dean is pretty angry uh, she's absolutely red and she's not acting like her usual composed self I try to create this pretense that I'm completely unfazed by this I mean it's just another day for me right and this agitates her even more and she says spitting on someone is a crime and it can be regarded as an assault and she said she was gonna make it her mission to make sure that man did press charges you know what the heck my heart sunk I tried acting as hard as I could, but that really got to me. I mean, I was always a troublemaker of sorts, but a criminal? Oh man, that's way too much. So it went like this. Uh, the counselor told my mom that she had to come babysit me um, the next day, like through all my classes. She literally had to come and sit next to me for all my periods that day. She sat next to me in my first period, which was English class, and then she sat with me during my health class, which was horrible because of the particular lesson they decided to give that day. Uh, luckily, she went to get her own lunch, but she came back during homeroom, and she was also there during math. I wasn't so much as worried about the whole babysitting thing compared to the whole idea of getting charges pressed against me. And looking back now, it was pretty embarrassing and the whole idea of my mom being next to me in every period in front of all my classmates is pretty cringeworthy. Because of that one day I have to go to school and sit down next to Christopher in every class because I have to babysit him because he don't listen, he don't behave. You know that experience was really embarrassing because that day, in one period, uh, they was teaching about sex, and I was the only woman in the class, because in that school, the, the boys and the girls are separate. So I was like, like really, really embarrassing, because every kid looks, like me, looks at me next to Chris. And... The experience was really funny at the same time because I met some friends of Chris and I couldn't believe how immature are the, the boys. So it was like, it was like funny and I learned a lot of things of the kids in school. So that about sums it up. Um... I got in trouble for spitting water on people and my mom had to come babysit me the entire day, which was really embarrassing. I never got any charges pressed against me. I think it was kind of the Dean's way to like force some sense into me. And so because of that, I'm never going to spit water on people again. And look, while thinking of a story to tell, this is one that really resonated with me as it kind of puts things into perspective. It highlights the importance of your memories. Your memories allow you to see the various versions of you and they can even allow you to adopt different personas even. Five-year-old you, middle school you, you right now. Memories are those intertwining roads that connect all the different types of you and they allow you to see that with time you're just going to be a doppelganger of who you were. 
and there is never a set standard of who you truly are you're constantly changing and who you are a couple of years down the road is far from who you are right now now i'm on my way to college i'm going to uc irvine i've been on the honor roll for about my entire high school career and being in a dean's office just isn't another day for me anymore i mean who would have guessed right think who are you the answer doesn't matter with time that answer will simply be another memory another addition to the various versions of who you are another person Guadalupe is a shy person. She's quiet and introspective. In this story, she reflects on how her shyness has been an obstacle for her and how one decision she made helped her overcome this very difficult challenge. It's not that hard to remember the first time I changed schools. The first time that I felt that point and feeling of anxiety, being a mere 10 year old going into a fifth grade in a new school with people I probably didn't know at all, with teachers I have never seen, made me feel like I was being thrown into an empty abyss. The thought of leaving everything I have ever known made it worse. I was no longer going to see my favorite teachers, Ms. Ordonez and Ms. Mercado. I was no longer going to play in the old playground that despite its archaic structure and appearance somehow made all of my classmates and me the happiest. It was the thought of leaving the only school I ever knew since I was four that made me cry, the last day of school. But even more the thought of not having anyone there with me at my new school where I was heading. I've always struggled with my confidence and self-esteem. All I can remember is me always being the awkward kid sitting at the back of the class so I wouldn't get called by the teachers. I always wanted to be the invisible one. That way I wouldn't be forced to talk to people. And don't get me wrong, I promise I am not antisocial. I'm just terribly shy. I would often look at people and see their ease at communicating with others, and it would make me jealous. I always wanted to be confident but for some unknown reason, I couldn't. It felt like a ball and chain were holding me back. It was useless. It made me feel useless. My level of shyness is extreme at times. Sometimes I can't even go to the store because I get anxious when I am about to talk to someone. It's embarrassing, trust me. That is why to save myself from embarrassment, I just decide not to speak at all. Lovely, isn't it? Fast forward to five years later, the cycle began again. My problem with my socializing issues was going to reemerge, and I was going to be my little fifth grade version again. Transferring schools in the middle of the school year is really weird. I was a 10th grader going into 11th grade in a whole new atmosphere with a bunch of people I didn't know. But I wasn't moving to any school. I was moving to a performing arts school. The thought of moving to a place where I didn't know anyone plus where I was meant to be confident or at least have some level of what I appear to lack sent shivers down my spine. Perhaps you are all wondering the reason as to why I moved in the first place, right? Well, the funny thing is that I wanted to move. Not only was I tired of my other school, not to be mean or anything, I wasn't content either. Some people were a bit mean, and a lot of unnecessary things like drama happened. Taking these things into consideration, I went out in search of a new school. I went to a school advisor, and I was told that the best school for me was Lhasa, due to all the rad things they would offer me. And by rad, I mean like acting and like AP classes. 
Not only was he going to take AP classes, like I said, I was also going to be able to participate in co-performing art activities like plays and monologues. In my previous school, I also wasn't offered a lot of opportunities, so Lhasa felt like a place for me. Long story short, I just wanted to change. Above the fact that moving was probably the best choice, I was still afraid. And I mean extremely afraid. Being an awkward child, I fear ever being accepted. This same thought remained engraved on the back of my mind. I talked to my friend Daniela. She moved at the same time that I moved, but she went far away. She currently attends Marshall High. It was the best decision for her as well. We both wanted to change. And luckily, she felt the same way that I felt. Scary because I wasn't sure how people like how the new school would act because I went to the same school with um, the same kids for like over like like five years and so it was like a completely new thing that I was about to do so that made me nervous. I used to think that I was like really outgoing and never nervous to yeah. meet people like that's what I thought I was gonna be like but then when the time came. Uh, I, I had, like, anxiety. I was very shocked when I had heard her say that she was anxious and afraid and that she had some level of fear. And I know that she never was one to struggle with that. She's very bubbly and the complete opposite of me. And to hear that she also struggled made me realize that even the most confident people go through the same thing. As time approached to the day I was going to be heading to my new school, I remember being really afraid and anxious and nervous about everything. I not only feared the unknown, but also what I had heard people say about the school. Conversations would arise that the school is full of cocky people, and people will often say, it's a theater school, what do you expect? I wasn't taking their opinion too strongly. At the end of the day, how did they know? They weren't attending the school, right? Nervous thoughts and doubts filled my head at night. I wanted to move, but I was afraid. I knew it was the right choice. That didn't stop the thoughts of doubts and fear to consume me at night. Things would get worse. Sleepless nights and scattered thoughts surrounded me. I wasn't at peace. I didn't quite get it. Why was I so afraid? Wasn't it my idea to move? Wasn't I putting myself into this position? Expectations and doubts were my worst enemies. I vaguely knew my destiny and self-doubt and anxiety were taking the best of me. I look back at it now and I sort of laugh at the fact that I overthought the whole situation. But that is just the way that I am. I always overthink and it kills me. It often puts my peace and sanity down the drain and it ruins the best of situations. Being anxious has always been something I struggled with and it all goes back to my shy nature. Maybe it's ironic how I willingly put myself into this whole situation that I faced once, but I wanted to do it. Not only was I doing this whole transferring process to gain some educational advantages like AP classes and such, but I also wanted to help myself and my person. I no longer wanted my shyness and self-consciousness to take the best of me. I no longer wanted to be held back from the things I enjoyed like performing arts because I was afraid of things going bad. I wanted to improve myself. I wanted to change. I wanted to gain new knowledge and that is why I decided to put myself into what you may all think a torturous situation, but I knew it was going to help me. Daniela said the same thing. She told me that when she was heading to the day that she was going to move, 
She overthought the whole situation. She was afraid of what people would see of her. She didn't know much about Marshall, but she had an idea. Sometimes the worst of situations could help us see that things aren't as bad as they seem. Sometimes all it takes is a little bit of will and confidence, ironically, to see that you are a strong person and that you could do things that maybe are out of your reach. For instance, I never thought that I could be able to move somewhere, not knowing anyone and be confident with that. But I threw myself out there and I did it. And now I have awesome friends that understand me and I'm enjoying myself and I love school. And to even say I sang in front of a lot of people on the talent show, that does not mean I'm not shy. I still struggle and I still do tremble each time I have to speak in front of people, but it's getting there and I'm improving just like Danny. And it's funny how she tells me that she was anxious and scared. Her being a very outgoing person, that just opened my eyes and I realized that sometimes even the most confident of people could go through what anxious people go to. Sometimes situations do get the best of you and thoughts, negative thoughts can sometimes ruin how you really are and can sabotage the situations and things. But that is just human nature. Sometimes you have to go through bad things to see the best in things. Maybe that's just the way that it has to be. You never know what you're gonna go through until you face it. You have to be comfortable with like getting out of your comfort zone and um, getting out of your shell and stuff. You have to like expand. And so when you're done with high school, you go through that same experience multiple times. Whether it's like you're switching from your like job to another job and you have to work with new people, or if you're going, if you're gonna move to a different state or anything, I feel like you have to deal with that in life. And so it's important for you to learn that early. Sometimes you just have to take a step away from your comfort zone and be open to new ideas because if you aren't, then what are you going to do? Put yourself out there and don't be afraid to experience things. Even if you're really afraid, even if you're really like socially awkward or socially anxious like I am, I'm still struggling, but I'm trying not to because it's going to be for the better of me and my peace of mind. You need to be you need to wander around and see new things and not be afraid of what's going to happen and i'm slowly learning that don't be afraid to take a risk and try to get out of your shell and trust me you feel free and freedom is the most wonderful feeling out there annika lives surrounded by choices that carry with them some very serious repercussions in this segment, she explores how so many of the choices that exist in front of her seem to carry serious consequences and what this constant stress has done to her psyche and her spirit. What do you want? A simple question to which the answer could be something as small as a cheeseburger and fries, please. Or I plan to be a doctor and to prepare for that, I volunteered at the children's hospital and applied for internships. But even when choosing food, I still take a long time. Hosting little debate matches in my head. Team Yoshinoya or Team Jollibee? What do you want? What do I want? I don't know. All my choices have always been based on other external factors and not really what I want. When given the chance to choose what food I want to eat, 
or what I want for my birthday, I choose whatever's cheaper. When choosing my classes, I choose whatever is more challenging to get into a good college, whatever is going to academically help me instead of the classes that I actually want. An example, I wanted to take advanced carpentry, but compared to my other classes, I had to choose something that was part of the A through G requirements instead of class that I wanted to take. So I decided to compromise. Take PE, something I needed to take because I only have one year in the semester. It would serve as a break period where I don't need to think. But then again, I had to make room for more academic classes. So I'm taking a semester of PE in the summer instead of taking it at school. I've had people tell me that I'm so smart and hardworking, but honestly, I don't know what they're seeing. I see my mistakes, my failures, and my grades sinking little by little. It's not really self-deprecation, it's more of something that I've noticed about my grades. To others, a B or a C is okay, but to me and my standards, it's not normal. I've usually ignored what I want. I avoided video games, watching anime, reading manga, etc. to make room for my studies. Even pushed away someone who really cared about me to keep my focus on my school and my future. And I was fine with it. That was two years ago, but recently, I've allowed myself to do things that I want. I've worked on plays and worked on little projects at home. I've gone out with my friends more and I had fun, but then I neglected my studies. I can't let go of a project once I start on it. Maybe because I see it as some sort of therapy or stress relief, but then that means I have a lot of stress. I can't let go because I need it, because it's a break from my normal activities, giving me a headache. Or maybe I can't let go because I've never had this freedom before. I've never let myself, and so now that I've tasted freedom, I don't want to let it go. I have no self-control, which in my age is really essential, and it's sad that I don't have it. I don't really know why. It seems like every time I give in to something I want, I can't do anything else. Normally people would just say to find a compromise, but I'm more of an all-in person. And by that I mean when I start something like a puzzle or a book or a TV series, I don't stop and I ignore my other responsibilities. So I guess in the end I'll just be ignoring what I want until I figure myself out. I don't think I'll stop full on, but I'll avoid extracurricular activities as much as I can and focus on my studies. I will do small things that I want, probably eating whatever I want, but not big things like working on costumes for the play or working on the set for the play until I work things out. But then I guess that is what I'm doing right now. I've been quote unquote punishing myself for my bad study habits by pushing away things that I want to do like learning how to play the guitar, reading my collection of classics, or solving puzzles. So the little hobbies are just piling up on each other in my house. Maybe this isn't the way to go, but what else is there? I'm not really good at time management and doing things I like will take me away from my studies. For my senior year, I'll try not to sign up for so many things even though I want to. I'll start with the minimum. Set a standard like have A's in all my classes before I actually start something like after school activities or volunteer work. I can't take college classes anymore because of my status as an international student. And if I do, they'll make me pay for it. Money, as I mentioned earlier, is a factor I need to think of when I want to do something. I also don't have an internship. 
They turned me down because of my status. All I have is summer school and my volunteer events every two weeks. These are what I have to do to help my resume and shape myself as a person for my future. So even though I can't completely do activities that I want to do, I still do activities that'll benefit me in the end. I'm in a constant state of indecisiveness. I'll go from wanting to talk to someone to completely ignoring them, from being furiously annoyed to tolerant of others' behavior, from being confident in my skills and appearance, trying new things, talking to new people, and actually being so proud of my work that I show it off, to being insecure and self-conscious of the littlest of things. I don't want to be that one kid who doesn't do anything. Weird, huh? Sounds annoying to deal with, too. I don't know how my friends put up with me. I don't think I've always been like this. I attended a conference for undocumented students on Saturday. I didn't want to go, but my mom made me. I told her that going there would be useless because we weren't undocumented, but she was persistent. Go just to ask someone for help. And so we woke up on Saturday morning and hauled ass to school. We got there in time to get on the bus to UCLA, me being half asleep, still drinking a cup of coffee and eating a slice of warm pizza wrapped in a napkin. I fell asleep on the bus reading The Black Dahlia, and when we got there, we listened to keynote speeches. One of them was from a man named Ernesto, whose scholarship was taken from him during his finals. Not only did he lose his funding because of his status, but he was also expected to pay back the money he had been given. He couldn't work because of his status as well, so what he did was he walked around campus with an empty mayonnaise jar and a sign with a goal of $1,000. At the end of the week, he raised $2,000 and delivered it to the office. A touching story followed by more tear-jerking stories, but I felt out of place. I can't pretend to understand their situation because we're different. When it was time for the workshops to start, me and my mom looked for someone to talk to who could help us out. I could never really find a reason for my lack of motivation in my classes until I bawled my eyes out talking to a student named Enrique, who was helping me and my mom. My mom explained our situation and I just felt useless. All I could do to help was keep my grades up and I couldn't even manage that. My parents came over to America on a tourist visa, then switched to a student visa. They were here two years before us, trying to get money and find a place to settle down before we, the children, were sent for in 2013. My parents had to choose between being undocumented and being an international student. The status of undocumented would mean that we would constantly be looking over our shoulder. We would get more financial aid and representation because of the vast undocumented community, but we would also have a hard time finding a job and everything after college without a social security number. Remaining as international students would mean we are legal and safe, but then it also means that we receive no financial aid. For international students to settle here, we study in college, get a work permit, and then apply for residency, aka a green card. Our problem now is, we don't have money for college. It would be too expensive since most grants and scholarships can't be given to international students. The reason I work hard and push myself, well, try to work hard, always taking the hardest classes is because I don't qualify for much financial aid. 
I have to give people a reason to give me money. Because why would you support someone from another country when you can support a citizen? Or if you can support a minority of undocumented children? Most people don't understand. They say that's not the only way, that there can be another way. But what is it? From my point of view, I see nothing else that I can do. I'm trying to build my resume by filling it with extracurriculars, but then again, that also interferes with my studies. I sign up for everything. AP classes, honors, working on the plays, helping out at school. But then I realize I can't balance it all. I can't do everything, but I need to. I've been told that I've changed since 10th grade, or last semester, that I'm not as positive, that I'm more negative and pessimistic. But I think it's just the reality of her situation setting in. I was thinking I was on track and more because of the college classes I took and I got my grades under control in 10th grade. But then AP classes hit. And at first, I struggled, but I got the hang of it, except in AP English. That class still kills me. I didn't lose motivation until I hit more difficulty. When they wouldn't give me college credit for all the work I did and I was rejected by an internship. It made me question what I was doing all this for. If I couldn't get recognition for what I've done, so long as I have the status of international student, that unfortunately defines me, even though I'm much more than that. I think I'm just going to need time to adjust to this reality that sadly hit me in the middle of junior year, the most important year of my high school life. That I don't just have to work hard, I have to do more than the classmate beside me who is a citizen or undocumented. There is no limit, I just have to do more. I was getting adjusted to having my own pace at school and having time to myself. Now I have to start all over, which is hard to do during school with a million other things going on. I have to try to figure out my plans for the future, what I can do for myself while balancing, while balancing two AP classes and all the extracurriculars I signed up for. I've taken a break from working hard at school to try to figure out what I've done and need to do, and that led to a C in AP English and AP US History. After working hard to do all of my makeup work, I ended up with an A- in AP US History and a C- in AP English. I don't really try to ask for extensions for deadlines because I know someone who's in a worse situation with a bigger workload. I didn't take my problem, lack of motivation, seriously. And I just went in studying blindly, turning in C essays and worksheets. I know now that I should have talked to someone about it to figure out my options or just take time to think about what I'm doing instead of ignoring my problems. From this point on, I'll always have to do better than the next person. I've been standing at the point between choosing what I want to do and what I need to do. Always going down one path and backtracking to go down the other. I guess that's what's been bringing me down. I'm finally choosing a path and I'll be forcing myself to stick to it. So it doesn't really matter what I want. I'll be doing what I need to do, ignoring whatever I want to do. Abandoning the things that make me happy.
Thank you for listening. And just so you know, this is our final episode of the season. But we'll be back in August. If you like this episode and have not yet heard the previous ones, please do so at the408.org or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Also, like with any form of art, your experience matters to us. So please leave us a comment on the iTunes store and tell us what you think about our show. And also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The408. I am Andres Reconco, executive producer of The 408. See you next school year. Peace.